0: Today we have come to the last of the four key expressions that I have mentioned to you that I believe we find in verses 1 through 15. And I do believe that, again, those verses are to be taken as a unit because of the Lord's instruction. They came from verse 12 where he says, I have many more things to say to you. That is the fourth expression that kind of outlines this passage of the Lord's statements here. Jesus Christ has been teaching his apostles in word, yes, but also by his example for about three years, give or take. So it's been about three years that he's been intensely ministering to these men. They have heard what he has said. They have witnessed with their eyes his life and consistency and what it means to walk with God and to pray and so forth and so on. And then since chapter 13 of this particular gospel account, from chapter 13, he has been having a private session with his apostles and intensely teaching them. And that continues through the end of this chapter. It continues actually through 17, but 17, as we will see, is a a lengthy prayer of the Lord, and I would consider it a lengthy prayer. Uh, But through this chapter that we are now in, Since chapter 13, he has been intensely teaching them again. And all of this, chapter 13, 14, it's taken us quite a long time to get this far, as you know. We need to remember that as much as that has come to you, and sometimes I hear the expression of how much information comes forth and so forth uh, over the lengthy period of time, the Lord gave them this information, this instruction this training in one day chapters 13 through chapter 16 just go home and read that and try to absorb all of that in one day that's what they got from him keep that in mind as we deal with the text this morning he is just hours away from his crucifixion that's the time frame he's been dedicating his life to teaching them he's shown them he's now in been teaching the crowds he's moved away from the crowds he's intensely instructing them since chapter 13 and he's hours away from his crucifixion and currently he has been speaking about as we have seen and talked about the fact that he's going away he's told them he's leaving them but he's also told them of the future ministry in our text of the Holy Spirit yes he was going away but he was sending the Holy Spirit. And we noted in verse seven, if you look at it in chapter 16, that it was to their advantage that he leave. They didn't want him to go. They had been benefiting for all that time, but it was to their advantage that he did go. And that advantage was that the Spirit of God would come. And then in our message last week, we saw that the Holy Spirit would have a ministry to the world verses 7 through 11, where we left off. He was going to have a ministry to the entire world, and he is doing that today. Now as we come to verses 12 through 15, he is going to continue to talk about the future ministry of the Holy Spirit, but he's going to turn the attention particularly to them as apostles. But also there is extension I believe here to the church in the sense of guidance, though that is really not what he's primarily aiming at. He's really dealing with them and the Holy Spirit's ministry to them. And what is it? What is that? Let's get right to the heart of the issue. What is the ministry? If you look at verse 13, the passage tells us. He says that future ministry of the Holy Spirit will guide you into all the truth what he says to them. The Holy Spirit in his final instruction that he's giving them, the future ministry is going to be to the world, yes, but for you particularly, he will guide you in all truth. The problem is, he's not going to tell them right now what all of that entails. And you might want to think, I would think that way, why doesn't he just continue to tell them? Why He says, I've got many more things to say. Well, just tell me what it is. Uh, Why not do that? Why not give them as much as possible before he leaves? Well, he tells us why not. And that's our text as we pick it up and we find the reason in verse 12. And here it is. He says, the apostles cannot bear it right now. He says, I have many more things to say to you. But here's the problem you cannot bear them now." The apostles could not bear them. This is the word that means they cannot carry it. They cannot, in the vernacular, handle it right now. The concept of carrying, if you just go with me for a minute to John chapter 19, just to keep you close by, because it's used again in verse 17. In verse 17, referring to the crucifixion, not that far away, he says, they took Jesus, therefore, and he went out, and here it is, bearing his own cross. We understand that. he It was on him. He had to carry it. And I believe it was also the fact that he carried, really, the sin of the world was coming and so forth, and that consequence and the wrath of God, all of that. But it was him. He was... Carrying it he was handling it and that's this word back here in chapter 16 verse 12. That's what it means the apostles the problem wasn't Christ The problem wasn't that he that he hadn't taught them a lot and he couldn't tell them But the greater problem was they could not handle it handle it and it begs the question. Why could they not handle it? He's been teaching them for three years He's been instructing them for an hour from chapter 13 all the way through chapter 15 and into chapter 16. Why can't they handle this aspect of it right now? Well, let me give you several suggestions that I think answer the question because uh, we do have, I believe, the answers here elsewhere in Scripture. Number one, I would suggest to you the reason they cannot bear it right now. Number one, they were still carnally minded. Wait a minute. These are the apostles. Mm-hmm. Wait a minute. These are the ones chosen by God to spread the gospel, to be a witness and testimony for him. Yes. And they were carnally minded. Boy, that's pretty bold, Pastor Dean. Why do you say that? What were they doing while God was teaching them? Well, the texts have told us. Who do you think is the greatest in the kingdom? While the Lord's teaching them, they're wondering, who's the greatest? Is it me? Is it you? You see, these people were no different from us. We say we get saved. We say we come to Christ. And do we ever get carnally minded? Do we get thinking in terms of this world? Do we get wrapped up? Do we fall into sin? Absolutely. And these disciples, as the Lord's teaching them about his going away, about the sacrifice for sin, about what is going to happen, they're all the while, while this stuff is coming into their mind, really, their mind, like some of you may be right now, You say, Pastor Dan, what are you talking about? I've sat out there many times when people have preached. I may be talking about the Word of God, and you're thinking about the Patriots, and you're thinking about your dinner, and you're thinking about your kids, and so forth. It's the same thing. Information is coming forth, but the mind is elsewhere. And that's what was happening with them. And number one, they were kindly minded. They were asking such questions, we know that from even this particular account. They were asking such questions a little later on is, hey, what's going to happen to him? Meaning John. And the Lord has to get back them to their mind, hey, wait a minute. Don't worry about John. You follow me. What difference does it make to you what I do with John? It isn't long after this that Peter's going to be saying, with all the instruction, with the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, Peter's going to be saying, I'm going fishing. Literally, I'm going back to fishing. Why? With all that they have been given. So number one, I would suggest to you that the apostles, even though they're in the midst and presence of the King of Kings and beginning all the instruction, have a tendency to let their mind walk, mind or back to the things of the world. Secondly, we also know from the text, and this is immediate, that they were very sorrowful. They were troubled in their hearts. Look at verse six. He says so. He says, I am going to him... Uh, to him who sent me and you look at verse 6 but because I have said these things to you sorrow has filled your heart so as he's teaching them number one their mind is still wondering about other things Two, they are sorrowful because he's leaving them look at chapter 13 verse 36 just a couple of verses and I'm trying to keep you in John so you can see most of this there'll be another time we'll go out of the book but John chapter 13 Uh, Look at verse 36 again. Remember this? It says, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me later. So they were crushed by that. They wanted to know what was going on. You look at chapter 14, verse 1, and we see it. Do not let your heart be troubled. Why? They were filled with sorrow. So he's instructing them. He's teaching them. Number one, their mind still wanders off in different directions. Number two, really in their heart, because God discloses it to us, they're concerned with sorrow and and what does this mean and where are we going to be, and they're really not paying attention, not able to grasp it. Thirdly, I think this is important, they could not fully understand what he had already taught them. They couldn't even grasp what he's already said. Go back to just a couple of verses on this. We've looked at this in uh, more than this uh, before, but let's just look in John again, chapter 2. Let's remember this. What he was teaching them, they still were not grasping. Chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. Just quickly a few verses. Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It took 40 and six years to build this temple. Will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. So when he was raised up from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this. When did they do this? After that. Then they believed in the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. But not while he was teaching them. Not only did the Pharisees and Sadducees and Jewish leaders not understand it, his own disciples didn't understand it until after the resurrection. So he's teaching them and they're not grasping. it. Go back to chapter 13 again of John. Look at verses 37 and 38. I already read verse 36. In 37, Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will, crow until you deny me three, will not crow until you deny me three times. And you know the story. there. He didn't get it. Oh, I'll lay down my life. No, you won't today. You'll deny me. Oh, not me. If everybody else forsakes you, I will stay. They're not listening. They're not grasping it. Chapter 14, verse 25, and these are just all in this context, as he's teaching them. He says in verse 25 of chapter 14, these things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the help of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you the things and bring to your remembrance. Why? They didn't get it. So right in the context of this hour that he's teaching them, Number one, their mind's wandering. Number two, their hearts are burdened and troubled. Number three, they can't even understand what he's saying. A lot of it. But I think even more important than this, why he says you cannot bear it now, I would suggest number four, they did not have the full gospel message to give yet. Whoa, what do you mean by that one? Jesus had not yet died resurrected. That's why they're going to remember and they're going to understand fully. You see, the Lord's been teaching them that he's got to die for the sin of the world. He's been instructing them that his purpose in coming was to die and satisfy the righteousness of God Almighty. They are still thinking, just like the rest of the Jews, that this is a deliverance from Rome you say how do you know that stay with me in just a second their concept of the Messiah was a deliverer still without a sacrifice and that's where the Jews are today and that was crucial until they fully grasped and understood the crucifixion. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they would not be fully equipped to go forth as witnesses with the true gospel. Now, how do you know that, Pastor Dan? Because of the word. Go back with me to Mark chapter nine. Watch. I think this is crucial. When he says they weren't able to bear it, there were a lot of things that were involved in it, and one particularly is, even in the gospel, they didn't grasp the crucifixion of Christ. In Mark chapter 9, at least at this point, in verses 9 and 10, and as they were coming down from the mount, he gave them orders, this is after the transfiguration, not to relate to anyone what they had seen until, watch this, the Son of Man rose from the dead. They seize upon the statement, discussing with one another what rising from the dead meant. This is his inner crowd. And he takes them up to transfiguration. Not only were they puzzled by what they saw, and then they get excited and wanted to build temples and everything else, our little boots. He talks to them and says, don't say anything to anybody. By the way, they're not pretty obedient, either. But he said, not only don't say anything to anybody, he tells them, he says, because you have to wait till I'm risen from the dead, and they're saying risen from the dead? What's he talking about? Go with me to chapter 9, verses 30 and 31, same book. Watch. And from there they went out and began to go through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know about it. By the way, that is just the opposite of the way the world thinks. You will see that continuously in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Well, miracles just to attract everybody to services and to try to trust it, no. They would point to the fact that he was the real Messiah. And many times when Christ did things, this is what he would say. Rather than saying, go tell everybody, he would say, shut your mouth. Don't go tell anybody. Why? He didn't want them focused just on the miracle. He wanted them focused on Christ. That's a side trip. But verse 31. For he was teaching, watch, his disciples and telling them, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and when he has been killed, he will rise Three days later, verse 32, but they did not understand this statement. They were afraid to even ask him. They couldn't get it. And yet without that, there's no gospel because it's going to be according to Ephesians, it's going to be according to the book of Romans, it's through the power of the resurrection that the verification ultimately of who the Son of God is, is seen. One more passage, go to Luke 18. Luke 18. In Luke 18, verses 31 to 34, quickly. And he took, watch this, the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. And by the way, when we're in John chapter 16, he's now there and teaching them, but watch this. He says, we're now going up to Jerusalem. And all things which were written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished, for he will be handed over to the Gentiles, will be mocked, mistreated, spat upon, and after they have scourged him, they will kill him. He's talking about himself, and the third day will rise again. But the disciples, there's a 12 here, understood how much? Nothing. He told them, well you say you sit here and you say, dummies. What is the matter with these guys? Hold on, folks. Have you ever read the word of God, walked away, and forgot, first of all, everything you read? Or do you go in your Bible study every day and say, I got a handle on that. Tell Pastor Dan, take a vacation. I got the pulpit next week. No problem. That's not the way we operate. We do the same thing. Well, his apostles were the same way. They understood nothing of these things. And he goes on and says, and the meaning of this statement was hidden from them, and they did not comprehend the things that were said. So here you've got the disciples, and I think that's all chapter 16, what he's talking about. You've got them, their minds wandering, they're troubled in their spirit that he's going, they don't understand what he's taught in other areas, and they certainly don't understand what he's taught regarding his death and resurrection, and that's essential to the gospel. And lastly, I would give you this one. Practically, I believe this is true. I believe their brains run overload. If I've got all the information from chapter 13 to chapter 16 in one hour, I don't think I would understand half of it. And I'm sure you're saying, Pastor Dan, you're doing that to me now. You're putting my brain in overload already. Okay, that happens. We get so much information. I'll give you an example practically. Sometime you take the time and just go through the book of Proverbs by going through one chapter a day. And start to concentrate on that whole chapter. By the time you get from verse 1 to whatever the end of the verse is in Proverbs, your mind will be spinning because you'll be trying to remember all the Proverbs and what it said. There's so much there. And so that was happening. So what you've got in the text, and I think it's important, back in John chapter 16, he says, I have a lot more to say, and you cannot bear it. And in saying that, God was being very gracious. God was being very patient, knowing that these men are but dust. And knowing further, and more importantly, that when the Holy Spirit comes, then they'll be ready. Then they'll be ready and to be able to grasp it, because the Holy Spirit will be doing his work as he's going to show them. So I've got more to say to you, and yet I'm still going to encourage you. And you can't bear it now, let me just encourage you by giving you assurance and validation, and that's verse 13. So they can't bear it. What is the assurance and validation? Number one, that the Spirit is coming. It says, when he comes. The time is not identified, but it clearly says, but when he, the Spirit of truth comes. Secondly, it's future tense. He will come. Thirdly, verse 7. I will send him. Didn't he say that? He says at the end of verse 7, the Holy Spirit will come to you. um, And then he says, I will send him to you. So number one, he's encouraging them by the fact that don't worry, you can't bear it now. But the Spirit of God who I talked to you about in his ministry to the world, he's going to come to you. In fact, he's already told them he will not only come to you, he will abide in you so that you will be properly equipped. Secondly, I believe he gives you something else of assurance here that's important for us to understand, and that is the principle of progressive revelation. Progressive revelation. In Hebrews chapter 1, you just read that in verses 1 and 2, the Lord said he spoke in many ways and in different times through the prophets, and now he has spoken through his Son. And I want you to not just take that for granted and understand the reality of progressive revelation. God did not give us everything at once. And he's now speaking to them through his son, and later on, he's st- also going to continue to speak to them, but through the Holy Spirit. That's what he's saying. And by the way, folks, that's intended, intentionally said to you this morning about progressive revelation to encourage you about your Bibles. It didn't come all at once. This wasn't just God's word. 66 books fell down from the sky at once. It was a process by which God would give some revelation over a period of time. He did not give everything at once. And by the way, we don't. When a child comes into the world, you don't take an infant and give them all that you can at one time and hope they understand it. You don't send them to kindergarten and give them 12th grade math. It doesn't happen. Some of you may, but I don't advise it. That doesn't happen in, anywhere, in any area of life. With children, in school, we go through a process. With us, as our education. On our job, you don't walk in on the job the first day, and the company you start to work for, it says, you know everything, here's what it is. Over time, you learn it. It's the same way with the word of God. Progressive revelation came in. But more importantly than that, part of it is that he's dealing with inspiration, I believe, here as well. He's giving them assurance and encouragement. Why? The Word of God is what it is, it comes from God. And we have that strongly, I believe, in this passage. You have many, I have many things to say to you now, you cannot bear them, but when He the Spirit of truth comes, watch, He will guide you, and it should be the preposition in, in all truth. In all truth. And what I want to get across to you here is several things. I want you to notice that Jesus says, I have many things more. Jesus Christ is still involved in this. He will be telling. It comes from God. His ministry didn't end when he went back to heaven. The word of God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and God the Father are all involved in it. And it's right here in this passage. I have many things, there's Jesus. Whatever he hears, he will speak, that's the Holy Spirit. And all things that the Father has are mine. And you see the unity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they're all involved. And when it comes to our Bible, they are all involved. And what will be given to them as apostles later on? They didn't have the New Testament here. The gospel according to John wasn't written here. Matthew, Mark, and Luke were not written yet. The Lord is still ministering to them. But when the Holy Spirit comes, God himself will be teaching. Jesus Christ will be teaching. And the Holy Spirit, who is the helper we've already learned, who is the paraclete, the one that will come alongside of them, will instruct them in all truth. And it's a verification and assurance that when they later on will be writing, they will have what we learn in 2 Timothy. And that is all scripture is given from God. It is God-breathed. And it is profitable for doctrine, etc., etc. It will be God's word. Why is this so? Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, just two verses. Verses 12 and 13 people talk about the Bible just being the words of man wrong and Jesus is assuring them that he's gonna speak more to them later when they can bear it when is that when the Holy Spirit is in them how is that possible because 1 Corinthians chapter 2 just look at verses 12 and 13 now we have received not the spirit of the world and this by the way is subsequent to the spirits coming But the Spirit, watch this, who is from God, so that we, watch this, may know. We may know what? Things freely given to us by God. Now, why is that? Because the Spirit, which speaks, uh, which things we also speak, not in words taught with human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit. And then it says, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. The Spirit of God understands the things of God in that passage and is able to make them known to man. And because the Holy Spirit is coming, he will enable them to be able to understand. That's why spiritually mature Christians can't even understand the things of God. But also for the apostles, go back to John chapter 16. He's encouraging them. I have a lot to say, more. You cannot bear them. But when the spirit of truth comes, and he is going to come, he will guide you. That's assurance from the hand of God, and it also gives us the source of divine revelation. It's God himself. Jesus will be speaking these things, and the spirit of God will do the next thing, and that is he will lead them. He will guide them. This term is the term that was commonly used for taking a blind man in fact it's used that way in matthew 15 verse 14 i won't turn there it's like when the lord says the blind are guiding the blind it's a blind man taking another blind man by the hand and what he's saying and it helps us again with inspiration how did the word of god get here how were the apostles used they weren't ready yet they had to wait till the crucifixion had taken place they had to wait for the resurrection Then the Holy Spirit would come, He would remind them, and Jesus Himself would speak things. The Holy Spirit would be able to take them, because He's God, and bring understanding back to the hearts of these men, who were now spiritually equipped, and He would guide them so that when they did record the Word of God, which you and I have as the Bible, we could rely on it as from God as God's word. He would guide them, and I believe that's why it says, in all truth. Not into, but in all truth. It's the extent of revelation. They would become the instruments of safeguarding the words of Jesus and recording the truth so that you and I would be able to even have it right. If left on their own without the spirit, they would have no assurance for right doctrine. If left alone without the Spirit of God, they would have no way of remembering everything that Jesus taught, nor even comprehending what he had taught, let alone what he would teach them. But with the Holy Spirit guiding them into all truth, and he will not speak on his own initiative, notice that, but whatever he hears, he will speak. God the Holy Spirit and God the Father, and God the Son were all involved in it. And when he talks about he will speak of things to come, there's a lot involved in this. We think automatically of the future of eschatology. I believe that's included. But the point is, he's talking about all that would come later. What is that? That's our New Testament, folks. I believe this is a very strong passage that gives you the assurance of God's guidance in the recording of our New Testament. How should the local assembly be led? What type of leadership should be in place? How should the church respond to government? They didn't have any of this yet. None of it. What is the true gospel message? Well, we know it by reading Romans. We know it by listening to Christ we know it by looking in Galatians, we know it by looking in Ephesians, but it hadn't come yet. How are we to deal with a sinning brother in Christ? They didn't have that instruction yet. How are we to encourage other believers not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together? They didn't have that instruction yet. What happens to loved ones when they die? Well, they had some in the Old Testament, but they didn't have the New Testament instruction yet. What will happen to the future church? Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. That was yet to come. You see? We have all things now that pertain to life and godliness. That is 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. They didn't have that. But Jesus Christ says, I've got, got more to give you, you can't take it. But when the Holy Spirit comes... He will guide you in all of it. So that your hand, and by the way, folks, this is such an encouragement. You and I with full assurance can pick up our New Testament and know that we have the word of God. Yes, it was recorded by men. It was recorded by these men. But they weren't even ready. They needed the indwelling Holy Spirit. How does that help? Because in their particular case, Jesus Christ himself, before he left, moments before he left, gave them assurance, I will be speaking to you. And the Holy Spirit will take what he hears from me, and he will bring it through you. You will record it so that Everything pertaining to things to come, how to handle the church, how to deal with government, how to deal with brethren that are sinning, how to encourage one another, what the gospel is will all be down, and you'll have the assurance that my hand was in it. No wonder we have these two passages. Turn with me quickly to them. Ephesians chapter 2. Watch. Watch. Don't let somebody frighten you by saying, hey, you know, the Bible's written by man. Of course, who would you expect it written by? That's not the end of it. How was it written by man? It was written because God was speaking, and God was the one guiding them. You'll see that in just a second. In Ephesians chapter 2, look at verses 19 and 20. No wonder he said this. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens but your fellow citizens, with who? The saints. You have the household of God. What encouragement that is to the believer, right? You have the household of God. Now look at verse 20. Having been built on the foundation of who? Come on. The apostles and the prophets. Of course, Jesus Christ himself, is the, he's still the cornerstone. But what does he mean, built upon the foundation? It is the teaching. It is the doctrine that was to come. It is the instruction that came through the apostles. Well, how are we sure that they had it right? Because Jesus himself was the one that oversaw the whole thing. And he assured them of that before he left. And he encouraged them. Don't worry, you can't handle it now. If I gave you the book of Ephesians you would have no idea what was going on. So you know what, Peter? I'll have you write 1 Peter and 2 Peter. i got another man coming along by the name of Paul, and I am going to give him the instruction for the book of Ephesians because his ministry is going to be to the Gentiles, and he'll explain how those two come together. But he's going to do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why you have this passage, 2 Peter chapter 1. You've seen it many times, but let's turn there again. This is the process. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. That's not what I want. What did I do? Second Peter one. Help me out. 20 and 21. What did I say? 16 and 17. 20 and 21 is what I want. Thank you. In 20 and 21. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of the scriptures is a matter of one's own interpretation. For prophecy was never made, here it is, by an act of human will. John, Paul, Peter did not sit down. They didn't decide. But men were moved. How? By the Holy Spirit. They spoke from God. And back here in John chapter 16, you have a very important point. And that is, he will guide you. The Spirit of God will guide you. And God himself... I believe, knows how to oversee it all. That is why David could say that when he wrote the Psalms in 2 Samuel 23, he says that his very words are in my tongue. That's why Psalm 19 in verses 7 through 11 could talk about the word of God and its purity, and it came from God, and so forth and so on. That's why in 1 Timothy chapter 5, it could refer to, listen, the writings in Luke chapter 10 as being scripture that's why we find in 2nd Peter chapter 3 verses 15 and 16 and that's why 15 and 16 I think are in my mind in 17 in that passage that Peter says the writings of Paul people are resting or twisting as they do the other scriptures He could refer to Paul's writing as scripture that was why you have Acts chapter 15 where the councils came together. The Holy Spirit was guiding. And I believe with all my heart that's why you've got Jude, uh, excuse me, Jude 3. What is that? That now we are contending earnestly for the faith that has been once delivered to the saints. Our job isn't to come up with new revelation, folks. Listen, when you hear churches talking about new revelation coming from God, your ears should go up and you should shut that off because Jesus himself said, I will guide the apostles. And I will do it through the Holy Spirit. And according to the other passages that we look at and compare, we find out that he guided them in all truth. And now our responsibility, they've got it right, is to go out and preach the same message, not a new one. And later on, they had the full account of the gospel. So he gave them assurance and validation He actually showed that they would have the authority for the recording of scripture. And by applications, they said, it is still true that the Holy Spirit indwells all believers, and he will guide us, and he will direct us. But it's not in new revelation as it was with them. With us, it's in explanation. It's referred to usually as illumination to give us understanding and insight. So he tells them, you can't bear it, but when the Holy Spirit comes, He will guide you in all truth, and I believe that means exactly what it says. All, not some. They're going to get it all, and they will be able to give it to us. And he will disclose to you things to come, and that is why we have these precious New Testament epistles that are able to give us guidance and give us all that we need for life and godliness. The question, folks, isn't getting new revelation. It's what are we doing with what he's given us. He used the apostles. And they went through real battles, and they went through real lack of understanding. But at the proper time when the Holy Spirit had come, you even find Peter, and that's why we have Acts chapter 3 and 2, boldly speaking about Jesus Christ, because now they fully understood. That's why you have such a precious passage, and I won't turn there, but Acts chapter 19. I believe it's there for our instruction. In Acts chapter 19, you go 1 through 7, where you had disciples of John the Baptist. It was the apostles who could come along and say, wait a minute. That person that John was talking about was the one that was crucified. It was Jesus Christ. And they could correct that gospel message so that now that they understood it, then the Holy Spirit came upon them. That's the reason for the transition. But it was dependent upon the guidance that had been given to the apostles. So today's emphasis, what we have in the passage, is that they couldn't bear it, but when the Holy Spirit comes, he's not only going to minister to the world, but he gave him assurance that he was going to use the likes of these men who are carnally minded, the likes of these men who couldn't grasp and understand what he had been teaching, who wanted to resist the the, the uh, excuse me crucifixion. These men who basically, in their own thinking could not even understand and grasp and were so caught up in the sorrow of losing Christ they couldn't see where they were going and would be scattered. He gave them the assurance that he would never leave them, he wouldn't forsake them, but he would speak to them again through the Holy Spirit and he would guide them. And then he wraps it up in the last section that I think is important I only can give it a moment or two. In verses 14 and 15, what was the purpose of the Holy Spirit's coming. Listen, this is so crucial. You've heard it again. You're hearing it again now. You heard it in chapter 13. He will glorify me. Who does the Holy Spirit glorify? Come on. Jesus Christ. There is no room for a ministry, listen, no room for a ministry whose total emphasis is on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit didn't come so that we could worry about and be all focused in on bringing glory to the Spirit and giving more attention to Him. His purpose in coming to this world was to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment last week. His purpose of coming into the apostles was to guide them in all truth so that they could record it. His purpose in coming into us is the same thing as it is with the apostles, is to drive us to Christ. And to give glory to him. And you see the unity right there in 14 and 15 of the father, son, and spirit. The father's given everything to the son. And it works back and forth. They belong, those who belong to the father belong to him. And he will disclose it to you. We could say more about that. But for this morning, I want you to catch the fact of glorifying Jesus Christ. That was the point of Acts chapter 2. That was the point of Acts chapter 3. That was the point of Acts chapter 10 going to Cornelius. It was to point people to Christ, not point people to the Holy Spirit. Today's emphasis should not be on Holy Spirit ministries. It should be on the ministry of the Word of God, and it should be letting the Holy Spirit do His work because we, as we've already seen, can't bring people to Christ. Give the gospel, He'll do the work, and God will give the increase. So in closing comments, while the world is busy rejecting Christ, establishing its own righteousness, this is all last week, denying the judgment of God coming, and even persecuting the church of God, after Jesus Christ is resurrected and leaves, the Holy Spirit will minister to them and convict them of that, and in the meantime, When the Holy Spirit comes to the Apostles, they will then be busy showing that Jesus Christ, the crucified one, the resurrected one, is the true Messiah. They will be involved in the recording of God's word for our New Testament to be possible. The Holy Spirit will be involved in drawing people to himself and guiding the church in the truths has expounded through them. Folks, we have the Word of God and Jesus Christ gives assurance, I believe, to that right here to his own disciples who could not even understand it. We have the Spirit of God. We are equipped for every good work as a believer in Christ if you're trusted in him. And so many are trying to search for gifts and search for it's being struck by the Holy Spirit. being Wait, come tonight when we talk about heaven. i got a comment on that one. And being struck by the Holy Spirit and having these things happen when well, we should be concentrating on our walk with God. We should be concentrating on yielding to the Spirit of God, not quenching the Spirit. We should be concentrating on seeking to please Him in all that we do. We should be seeking to bring glory to Him in everything that we do, and not just be concentrating on ourselves in this world, but there may be some here that haven't even come to Christ. Without the Holy Spirit, the apostles didn't even get all that Jesus was teaching. Without the Holy Spirit, they couldn't grasp the crucifixion and resurrection, but with the Holy Spirit, they could, because it's the Spirit of God that opens up the understanding. What did they have to grasp? Jesus Christ was the Messiah. Once the Holy Spirit came, Peter was bold. This one that you have crucified, he's the one that God predestined and planned that he would be the one through which salvation would come and with boldness would preach the gospel. It is only possible for us to come to salvation that the Holy Spirit open up our understanding that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the only one sent of God, and that he bore the penalty and price of our sin, that is death. And through our faith in him, we can have the gift of eternal life and forgiveness of sins. And believers, we ought not to be looking for some experience and looking for some further revelation. We ought to be basking in the word of God, who Jesus Christ assured he would give guidance to his apostles when he spoke to them through the Holy Spirit. Are you reading the word? You say, yeah, I'm reading it every day. I would guess that some of you the professing believers can't even say that. But even if you are, are you obeying it? Are you yielding to the Spirit of God? Are you letting him work? We are so caught up. I'm not one for encouraging people to come to different things and so forth in, in, in this sense, but I'll tell you something. Tonight, as we continue in the book of Revelation, we're going to be talking about heaven and as I've been studying the topic of heaven and been praying and going through the book of Revelation, I've been brought under great conviction myself. I don't believe too many believers are even meditating on heaven. I believe we're so occupied with this world that all we look at is it's a place I guess I go when I die, when that's where our affections are supposed to be. Where are we? Where are we? Have we been so caught up that this world has overtaken us as believers? That we don't even recognize what God was doing? Are we looking at the apostles and saying, how could they not bear? How could they not understand? When we've got all the revelation and yet we have trouble applying it in our own daily lives. May God strengthen us, stir us up, and encourage us To be students of the word and to obey it and let God use us as we bear witness as to who he is. Let's pray. Our Father in God, I thank you for your graciousness, kindness, patience with these disciples. Lord, you instructed them so well and with so much and yet being but dust they could not bear much of what the Lord Jesus Christ had instructed that you are so gracious and promising on the authority of your word and of your son that the Holy Spirit would come and then guide them in all truth. We see your hand even in preparing and allowing the New Testament to be written. Father, there's no way those men could have remembered that without the Holy Spirit's guidance and without your hand and the son's hand being in it all. But we thank you and praise you that he did instruct them in things to come. And now, Father, you have given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And I pray as believers you'd help us to take the time to learn, to grow, and to yield to the Spirit of God. You might have your way in our life. And, Father, for those who might be here without Christ, think that this is just another book, I pray by your grace you'd open up their understanding and help them to see that it was your word that was spoken forth by you, that you guided, the Holy Spirit guided these men and recorded these truths so that people would understand and know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that by believing on him, they might have life through his name. That you would open up their understanding that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come unto the Father but by him. And I pray that you'd bring them to faith in Christ as a child of God, that they would understand who you are and the graciousness of forgiveness of sins and the joy of being called a child of God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.